Go ahead and be seated. Thank you to our worship team, as always. It's a blessing to be led in worship and to allow ourselves to think about that, that message that God uh, is the center of our lives and that we should fill our lives in understanding of, of God's love. So thank you to those of us, to those of you who, who are here uh, in person, and thank you to those who are, are joining online uh, as well. It's a, a blessing to be able to share in worship with you, and we're going to take communion. Simon will be leading that right after I'm done preaching. This morning, I want to begin a series, which I've been excited about. I've been working on this series with uh, some of my friends who uh, sometimes I'll write sermon series with together on the villains of the Bible. Uh, but wh- who would you say is comes to mind, anybody, who is a, a favorite villain of yours? Not in the Bible, but just in a book um, or a movie. Anybody? Loki? All right, that's pretty good. Um, So we'll we'll continue to be thinking about some of those people that we see and those uh, villains. uh, We're talking about those in in Scripture, but we're also going to be thinking about the villains that we see uh, in in movies and books and those kinds of things as well. There was an author named Joseph Campbell who decided that uh, he wanted to do some research on the stories that we tell. And so he went and looked at stories for thousands of years, the Odyssey, uh, Hamlet, Star Wars, all of those kinds of of big stories that people have been telling forever. And he found something uh, very interesting. He said that what we see as a common theme, there are many common themes in all of these stories, but what we see as a, a common theme is that there are people who have painful things happen to them in these, these stories or, or books or whatever, and they respond in a certain way. They redeem that pain. And what do we call those people? It's not a real hard question. What do we, hero, there you go. And I'm like, everyone gets all nervous all of a sudden. Hero, it's not that hard of a question. And then we see characters who they've had something happen to them, and it's painful, and it's hard, or they've done something, and then out of that, they try to share that pain with others. What do we call them? Villains. Yeah, we call them villains, heroes and villains. You guys get about a C today so far, but we're going to keep keep going. Uh, anyway, uh, when, when we think about these, these villains that we see in these stories, these people that really just make the hairs raise on your neck because you're just, why does that person that way? But what we see through Scripture is there's some villains that I think we have some things to learn from as well. There's a lot of bad people in the Bible. In fact, the good people are often very bad. David does some terrible stuff, and yet he's called a man after God's own heart, which honestly, I want to take that verse out of the Bible at the time. That just doesn't make sense. He's in, there's a lot of weird stuff. Not that God can't redeem him, but man, after God's own heart, that's, that's a little bit like far for me to go, perhaps. And we see some people who do some really dark stuff. If you were able to just remove all the knowledge that you have of the Bible, and perhaps you don't have a whole lot of knowledge, that's great. I'm so glad that you're watching online or joining us in person. But if you were able to just like take a pill and forget everything that you know about the Bible and read it, you'd probably be shocked by how bad the people are. In fact, there was a guy who was a missionary named Leslie Newbegin, and he went to translate the Bible to this people group that had never been reached before. And he after spending many years, translated the Bible into this, this group's language, and he shared it with people that were in this, this tribe, this very remote place that he was. And this person, after reading it, came back and said, this is not a religious book. It's ordinary and often very bad people that are involved in it. And I think about that line, ordinary and often bad people, and I could think that that describes me at times, as I try to live out what God has called me to do with my life. 
And it's easy for me at times when I sometimes am finding myself perhaps a little bit as, as the villain of the story as I am and perhaps doing things that I know I shouldn't be doing. It's easy for me to just blame other people and say, oh, it's all just, just his fault or her fault or that's the issue. It's easy to come from a long line of blamers. There's a woman named Brene Brown who I would highly recommend reading any of her books or watching her TED Talks on vulnerability and shame. They're fantastic. Watch it after I'm done, but it'll be better than what I'm saying probably. But she tells a story about how she was in her um, kitchen in the morning uh, for about 10.30 a.m. getting a cup of coffee, and she accidentally dropped her cup of coffee, and it spilled all over her white pants. And her first response was, I hope you're happy, Steve. And Steve is her husband. <laughs> Steve was not in the kitchen. And the reason why her gut response was, I hope you're happy, Steve, is because the previous night, she had told her husband Steve to be home by 10 p.m. because she struggles going to sleep when Steve isn't there. And Steve didn't get home until 10.30. And so this was her second cup of coffee. So she needed the second cup of coffee to make it through the day, which spilled on the pants. So she now knows, like, that is why this is Steve's fault. And that story is so great because it's so relatable. And she said immediately as she even had the thought, she thought, this is ridiculous. Like, the, like, that's, uh, it's not his fault. He's not even here. And I can't blame him for me dropping this cup of coffee. But I think that all of us in our lives, we're easy to self-justify. And one thing that Scripture teaches is that one day, we're all going to stand under the gaze of God. And all that stuff is going to wither away. And all the ways we've self-justified or make it about other people's problems or distance ourselves from the things that we know we probably should be doing, all of those things, they're just going to wither away. And so it's important at times to ask the hard questions of ourselves. How do we identify with people who aren't necessarily the heroes or the, the people that we look up to in the scriptures. And there's one that is a fascinating character, has a very strange story uh, named Judah. Uh, Judah is found in Genesis, and Genesis opens up with this beautiful image of God being per at perfect peace with uh, the humanity, and then the, the humanity is at perfect peace with God. But then sin enters the world, murder enters the world, and then a whole bunch of stuff goes wrong. If you read the book of Genesis, it's, it's crazy. It's backstabbing. All of this stuff is going on in, in, in these, these stories about these, these families that form out of Adam and Eve. And so Judah is part of Jacob's family. Jacob has 12 kids, and if you know much about that story at all, Jacob has one son named Joseph who is the favorite. He gets a Technicolor dream coat, and you like know about that story, and he's just the chosen one, and he also does some stuff like on his own that's pretty tough. He tells his brothers, like, you know, I was just out, and I had a dream, and you all were bowing down to me, and it's like just not a good thing to say to your brothers. Like, you don't, shouldn't necessarily do that. And Joseph's story is, is, is fascinating, and it keeps going, but one of his brothers is named Judah. And there's a point when they are so frustrated with this guy who is always getting dad's favor and all this great stuff that's happening to him, that the brothers just think, we should, we should kill this guy. He's so frustrating. Let's just get rid of him. And Judah, like at this point, he's uh, moving in the villain direction, I would argue. He brings this thought. He says, what will we gain by killing our brother and covering up his death? 
Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands in him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. So yeah, that's pretty kind. Like, let's sell him into slavery instead of killing him. I mean, that's not all that kind, but it's at least like, at least he does, at least he does that. And so they decided that they sell him into slavery and, and Joseph's story takes a dramatic turn and I would highly recommend reading the back half of the book of Genesis, which has a lot of interesting things about how God does really amazing things through broken situations and how Joseph remains faithful. Eventually, Joseph is in, in charge, basically, in Egypt, right next to Pharaoh, and Joseph ends up saving the world from famine. But that story does keep going, but it has a little detour with Judah. In Genesis chapter 38, if you want to open up to there, there's a lot that I'm not even going to be able to share because this is a really strange story. And Judah has three sons. The first one is named Ur, which they, sometimes you look at Old Testament names, you're like, well, that's really weird. I don't just understand how you stop with just Ur. Like, you can come up with anything more beautiful than that. And Ur marries a woman named Tamar. And Ur, it says, Scripture, that he does something evil in the sight of God, and, and Ur dies. And this is where it gets really weird for us, because in that society, you were part of, of a family unit and a structure, and you would consider yourself more as kind of a communal whole than just as an individual couple. So it was your duty, if you were the patriarch of that family, to then provide one of your other sons so that this woman whose husband has died can have an heir. And I know that sounds very weird to us and sounds like it would make family reunions really strange. I'm sure it would, but that was the custom. And so Judah provides Onan, his second son, to Tamar. And Onan, if you read the story, he kind of fulfills the letter of the law, but not the spirit of it, because he doesn't want the inheritance to be spread out to more people. And so Onan is struck dead. And so Tamar goes back and says, hey, like there's one more son, right? And Judah's thinking, I don't know, like, two of the kids have ended up dead with you, so I don't necessarily want to like go, go through with this. I'm not feeling like so good about this situation. My kids keep dying when you're around them, so I don't think this is a great thing. And so he kind of is slow playing and is like, no, yeah, yeah totally. We'll, we'll figure that out eventually. Like just, just like, give me some time. And so Tamar decides to take the situation into her own hands. She dresses like a, a woman of the night. I can't go into too much specifics here, but she dresses in that way, and her father-in-law doesn't recognize her. And so they do what you do with a woman of the night. And then for the payment, he says, I will give you a, a goat, which is, you don't really carry one around in your pocket. So, like, so I can make sure that you're going to give me the goat eventually. I need something. And so he ends up giving, uh, like, the family ring, which is like the driver's license of the day. So you take that with you, and then eventually, like, this will make sure that you get your goat. And then later, he's looking for this woman. She, she's nowhere to be found. And I think he just, I think it's maybe this whole thing has forgotten itself. And then a few months later, Tamar's pregnant. And the people in town are basically bringing her. It was justified, perhaps, that you could kill a woman who did this. And Judah is indignant. How dare she? She's supposed to be waiting for the third son, which honestly I probably wasn't ever going to get around to. But how dare she? If you don't read the Bible, and there's some weird stuff. This, would, this, this script would not be like used in days of our lives. Like, this would be a little too weird for that. 
But how dare she go and do this? How that she get pregnant outside of our family line? And then she's brought basically with these charges, and she says, Yep, I'm pregnant. But it's by the man who owns this ring. And suddenly, Judah gets checkmated. You can't be so self-righteous when you are part of the problem. There's an Old Testament scholar named Carolyn Custis James who says this. I know it's, again, a very strange story. She says, Patriarchal concepts of family honor and duty to her dead husband driver, if we miss this one piece, will reduce her motives to desperate longings for a baby or a chance to get even with her lying father-in-law. She's taking an enormous chance and a huge risk to produce a son for her dead husband. I know this is a, a weird story, but she's trying to do something to honor her dead husband's legacy. And when Judah calls her out and then realizes that he's the problem, he has the opportunity to either learn something from this or just continue blaming. And I think for all of us, there's going to be times in our lives where we get checkmated. Where we realize that we are part of the problem and not always the solution. And it might be true for all of us that those are going to be the most important moments of our lives. How do you respond when you failed? Perhaps very publicly. I think about growing up, my family, we used to get cinnamon rolls from Costco, and those are, are pretty great. Um, and there was always enough that we would have them once as a family, but then we would put them in the freezer and have them the next week or something and, and save them for the next time. And so there was one time that I was in charge of taking them out to the freezer, and I definitely ate too much of the icing. Like, I, I was taking them out to the freezer, and I ate a lot of the icing on the way to the freezer. And so the next time that it was time for us to eat cinnamon rolls, my parents asked me, what happened to these, Brian? Like, where's all the, where's all the icing? And I said, what are you talking about? And there were just, like, fingerprints running through the entire thing, and there was just no way that I could duck the fact that I had definitely eaten all that icing. And so there's going to be moments in your lives where, like, that happens, when you come face to face with the reality, yeah, I screwed up. And in that moment, I could have said, oh, Costco, you know, yeah, why, why is it so tempting? Why do you make the icing so good? And it's somewhat funny to think about that, that story that happened a long time ago. But I think in reality, like, we are, are looking in those kind of situations often to blame whatever we can and to throw people under the bus and do whatever we need to do to make it not feel like we're part of the problem. So in this moment, as Judah gets checkmated, he ends up saying this, she is more righteous than I. And I know it's hard for us to understand anyone being righteous in this story, since I wouldn't give her my son. Self-righteous people can't say this sentence. You know, he is more righteous. I see the good in that person. I see what's happening. I see what, that I'm not perfect. Self-righteous people can't say this sentence. 
And I think this moment helped to change Judah and his trajectory. Because later in the story, as we meet up with Joseph again in Egypt, and Joseph is now second in command to Pharaoh, and he can do basically whatever he wants with his brothers who sold him into slavery and put, them, put him on this path. It's a story that's really worth reading, and there are, are some really awesome parts in the story of Joseph, which you should check out. We could all learn from. But as this experience is happening, Joseph ends up revealing himself eventually to his brothers. But at one point, there's a brother who stands up and and says, "I, I want to take the place of my brother Benjamin, who you want to put to death. It's in Genesis 44, verse 33, and he says this, Let me stay here as your slave, talking to Joseph. They don't know that this is their brother yet. And let my brother Benjamin go back. This is Judah, who at one point gets checkmated, and at one point sells his brother into slavery, This is someone who has a checkered past. But I have to think that in this moment, he's showing that he's learned something. That's what I think we are all going to be faced with at times. Will we say that, yeah, I, I screwed up, I was part of the problem, but I have learned something. John Orberg about this passage says this, this is the first time in human history when someone says, I'll be the sacrifice for someone else. And obviously, we see echoes in the life and ministry of Jesus. That Jesus, one day, is going to be the sacrifice for all of us. And the book of Genesis up to this point has been nothing but backstabbing and everyone just doing that for themselves and doing everything that they want to do to try and survive. But in this moment, Judah, who is a very complicated character, raises his hand and says, I'll take the place of my brother. And it's actually in the next chapter that Joseph then just breaks down crying and welcomes his brothers back. I think he realizes in this moment that his brothers have changed some. And Judah is mentioned in the line of Jesus. Judah, this guy who has a checkered past. And I think in this moment we realize he's learned something. I think of Jesus who is so brilliant and it's been said about him that either he's just some like crazy man who Um, We can't really get anything from her. He's the smartest man who ever lived because he always says the right thing in the right moment. Jesus always says the thing that like settles the, the crowds down or helps people with exactly the words that they need to hear. Jesus is always able to say the right thing. When Jesus is arrested, he says hardly anything. He doesn't try to self-justify even though he could. He doesn't try to 
talk about the, the sins of the world, though he definitely could. As Jesus is being led to the cross and tortured and shamed, Jesus says hardly anything except those amazing words, Father, forgive them, because they just don't know what they're doing. Maybe you haven't lived long enough to be checkmated yet when you realize I'm not the, the hero or the saint that I think I am. But may we understand that it's in those moments, perhaps when we realize that it's our fingers that have run through the icing, or when we realize that we are part of the problem. In those moments, can we not try to self-justify? Can we learn some lessons that we need to learn to grow, to move forward? May we be like Judah, not the first part of Judah's life, but may we be like Judah, who I believe shows growth. To say one day, let me be sacrificed in my brother's place.